Jay Hazel, an alcoholic. I needed a watch before the meeting, and I asked Susie Spears, she let me see her watch. I can't fit it on my hand, though. <laughs> so I'm going to put it right here. Um, my sobriety date's November 25th of 2020. This is my home group. I have a sponsor. I sponsor one other guy right now. I've sponsored a few. They haven't lasted too long. I get to a fourth step and just don't want to do any work. Um, <clears throat> I'm sure some people here have had that same experience. I've been that person myself, so um, I can relate to them. I go to a detox about once a month. Um, I take cigarettes up to the Hill and Place in detox because I used to go up there broke with no money, no food, smoke cigarettes. I would go up there, I would smoke their cigarettes, eat their food, sleep in their bed for about 24 hours, and then I'd leave. <clears throat> um, so it's just kind of a way for me, for me to give back to them. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, but I have a good life, you know. I was thinking about my day today, and uh, I was thinking about where I was 15 months ago. 15 months ago, I was, I was about to go into county jail for a couple weeks with all the warrants I had out for my, for my arrest. But, um, you know, today I woke up this morning, I prayed, I read, I, uh, <clears throat> I sat outside my house listening to some owls talk. I like owls. Um, <laughs> I like listening to them. Um, it it kind of gives me, like, you know, like a sense of peace. Um, it's kind of... One of my meditations, um, and I did some work on the computer in the house, and I went and took a drug test. I take about two drug tests for court every week. I haven't failed one the whole time I've been in drug court. Um, and I actually asked the drug court coordinator, I said, how many people have been through this program that have never failed a test? And she's been working there for like four or five years, and she, she said, you might be the second one. <clears throat> it's recovery court. Um, it's intensive, but it kept me from going to prison. So, God willing, yeah, I didn't have to go to prison like you, Susie. <laughs> Maybe I should take that back. I might. I hope I don't mess up one day and <laughs> wind up in there. <laughs> but no, it's so... You know, since I've been out of jail, I've been sober. And through a home group and sponsorship, I've just been taught you just show up, you know, show up and do the work. And that's what I've done in a lot of different areas of my life, especially in recovery court. Um, but if I stay sober and show up to four more classes for the next week and a half, this not this coming Friday, but next, I'll graduate. So I'll be off of three counts of probation. I'll be done with recovery court. I won't have to take drug tests twice a week. Um, you know, like I'm, I'm grateful for that program. But, you know, my experience is the longer I stay sober, the more my life develops. And sometimes it can seem like a burden, you know. Um, but, yeah, it, it kept me from going to prison. And, um you know, kind of leading into that, <clears throat> the attorney that took care of those charges for me, he represented me without me paying him a dollar. 
you know. And uh, the day he represented me, I owed him $7,000, and he took care of all my cases. And, you know, I'm slowly paying him back right now. <clears throat> but for me to text that guy, I tried to call him. He didn't pick up. But I used to have his phone number mem memorized. I don't anymore, so that's probably a good thing. <laughs> But I sent him a text, and I was like, man, I'm about to graduate. And, uh, you know, it's good work. And really, at the end of the day, I send him that because <clears throat> that guy has just done so much for me, and I really appreciate him, and I told him that. Um, anyways, so I guess let's start the story thing. <clears throat> um... So the first experience, now I'm going to say one thing real quick before I start. <laughs> so about three times tonight before I spoke, Jerry looked at me and he said, you need to get sober. <laughs> so I, I probably don't need to be telling all these crazy stories. I got a lot of them. And I think last time I spoke, I, uh, I stayed drunk too long. That's it. <laughs> Sometimes I just get caught up in those stories, you know. Um... So I'm going to move through some stuff. I got this little watch of Susie, so keep me right on track. <laughs> um, so the, the first experience I ever had with alcohol, I didn't drink. But I remember it specifically. I was, <laughs> I was about four or five, and I lived with my parents at the time, and I had three sisters and a brother. And they were all about 10 to 15 years older than me. So they drank at the house with their friends. And this one specific night, I remember, I don't remember any other nights, but this night, I remember they were partying, people were drinking, having a good time, listening to music, and uh, there was good-looking women there with big boobs, and I was just attracted <laughs> to that just right off the bat. Um, <laughs> so that... That lifestyle just got me from an early age. <laughs> I'm still kind of like that, too. That hasn't really left me. <laughs> um, but, you know, I was a good kid, man. You know? I, I made straight A's for a long time until I started drinking. Um, I played AAU basketball. Um, I was very athletic. Um... My parents got divorced when I was real young, so me and my mom moved around a little bit. And when I was eight, we moved to Raleigh. And, yeah, like I said, good in school, AAU basketball. And uh, when I was probably in middle school, I drank for the first time. And I just remember we had a good time. And I've always been one to try to cover up my tracks, right, to try to hide what I did. I've been trying to hide stuff my whole life. So my mom had this liquor cabinet. She had white liquor and brown liquor. So when we got done drinking, we filled up the white liquor bottles with water and the brown liquor bottles with sweet tea. <laughs> it worked. We never got caught. Now, I wonder if she went to go drink that stuff, if it just tasted like straight water or sweet tea. I would have known if, if it was me drinking, you know, a few years ago, honestly. Somebody drinking my liquor. <laughs> um, 
But uh, yeah, so, and then obviously kind of the, the older I got, the more I started trying stuff. Um, I eventually quit playing basketball. I went from making straight A's in school to still to this day, never graduated high school. Um, <clears throat> I ended up trying to go back to high school because the only class I ever failed was U.S. history. And the story behind that is after first period, I go up to the parking lot to go smoke a cigarette. <laughs> a couple guys would come up there and be like, hey, you want to go smoke some weed? And we'd just leave and go smoke. Um, so I never finished U.S. history. I went back to school to try to finish U.S. history and then <clears throat> got blacked out drunk one night and got into a motorcycle accident that almost killed me. Um, I don't... I don't remember anything. I know I laid the motorcycle down going somewhere between 60 and 100. My helmet came off. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, I ended up in the hospital, and the whole right side of my body was down to the meat. <clears throat> and the nurse told me that if I wasn't so drunk, I'd probably be dead. So that, that kind of gives you an example of what my drinking was like. I, I know one of my best friends... He was my my business partner. We had an illegal business. <clears throat> we like sports and you know make money off of illegal stuff. But uh, he would tell me he would say, "Don't leave any cash in your pocket when we go out to drink." And he would always look at me and he'd say, "Don't black out tonight." I'd be like, "All right, I'm not." I'm going to drink slow. <laughs> and then you go to a party with a bunch of PJ, and, I mean, you take, like, three sips of the cup, and it's gone. You're already one drink in. And and I just, like, I could never stop how fast I drank. And next thing I know, I'm either, like, somebody's waking me up in a car, and they're trying to drop me off somewhere, or it's the next morning, and I'm like, what the hell happened last night? You know? Like... <clears throat> At an early age, that was that was my drinking all the time. I blacked out all the time. Um, when I was about 19 or 20, I started experimenting with some hard drugs and literally just started uh, started ruining every relationship ever I had in my life. Um, so since I had that illegal business, people would call me to want to get weed and I wasn't doing it at the time but they called me and you know to get a good bit and uh, I just have them give me my money give, I would have them give me their money and I just wouldn't return and it'd be thousands of dollars um, <clears throat> so what started happening is I wasn't invited to the parties other people didn't want to have anything to do with me because I probably robbed one of their friends and you know I'm putting a needle in my arm every day you know and uh I ended up becoming homeless, <clears throat> and at that time I was 20, and um, you know, for a while I didn't even really see anything wrong with it, you know. My routine was either to get up in the morning or stay up all night. I would, I would, so I was sleeping on this mattress behind a Harris Teeter at the age of 20, and, or either on the Goodberry's bench. <laughs> that was my bed. I, you know, I thought I was in good shape when I found that mattress behind Harris Teeter. <laughs> oh man, this is a lot nicer than that one. <clears throat> um, but I would, I would walk in the Harris Teeter and I would steal my beer to drink and steal food to eat. 
And then I'd eat, I would go on a mission. My mission would be either rob somebody or steal Dyson Ball vacuum cleaners and take them to J&L Pawn Shop. And I, I mean, I, I would go, I don't know how I never got caught doing that, but I would walk into a Target or a Sears, pick up two $600 vacuums and just walk out. <clears throat> and I'd take it to the Paul man and he'd give me half of what it was worth. Um, but so one morning, I guess I fell asleep on that mattress. A lady woke me up and it was raining outside and she asked me if I needed any help. I was, no, I'm fine. I got this. I'll be all right. But it was like that morning, I, I had that moment of clarity, you know, like I started thinking like, man, I'm 20 years old. The people I grew up with are in college or they have like successful jobs or just really starting to build their life. And I've been wearing the same clothes for a couple of weeks and all I do is rob people in places and, you know, just living a terrible way of life. Um, so some reason that day you know after i had that moment of clarity i called my mom i just told her i needed some help um told her i needed somewhere to stay and i needed some clothes so she took me to the healing place and I'm sure a lot of people around here are familiar with that <clears throat> but it's 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 a homeless shelter with the rehabilitation program in it and for me at that time it was perfect and right when i got in there a guy that i used to run with came in and then a guy that I grew up with came in. Um, and then, <clears throat> you know, so just kind of when I first got in there, I, I got surrounded by some people that were friends of mine and still are to this day. Um, one of them that was one of my best friends is actually in federal prison down in Florida right now. See, he, he couldn't stay sober. Um, so and this was in uh, 2009, right? So my sobriety date is 2020. <clears throat> a lot a lot happened in those 11 years. Um, but yeah, so I stayed there nine months, and I didn't work any steps in there. I didn't have a home group. I, you could say I had a sponsor, but he was like, <clears throat> he used to call me shithead or yo-yo or, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> he was from up north. I really liked what he shared, so I asked him to be my sponsor. He'd been sober about as long as I'd been living at that time. Um... But he's a cool guy, you know, when I see him, I still talk to him, you know, he's, he's got some really good stuff to say. He likes to read spiritual books that I like to read, and, uh, and he knows his big book. But, so, after being in the healing place for nine months, you know, I've always been one to stand up for myself, and this guy was trying to pick on me, and I, uh, I, I looked at him and said, hey, let's just sign out at 4.30 and handle things like men. I was going to fight him. Well, he went and told staff what I said, and they kicked me out. <laughs> so that same day, my grandpa died. So my mom came and picked me up, and we did all that stuff. And I started living at my mom's house. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, I was... You know, I was getting drunk and getting high quick. I mean, it, it, it may have been a couple weeks. And that lasted for three months. More or less what ended that was uh, a pretty tragic situ situation happened one night. And uh, I didn't know this, but for, for about 12 or 16 hours, I had a lot of detectives and police looking for me. I didn't know what was really going on. I knew what had happened. 
<clears throat> but I didn't know the police were looking for me. And the next morning, um, I was standing out on this girl's back deck, and I saw probably about 10 cop cars pulling to this chick's neighborhood. And I remember I was like, man, whoever they're here for is fucked. <laughs> 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 they, they were there for me. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, they had guns drawn, and where's Mr. Hazel? And all that. So, yeah, I, I just came out and said, here I am. Don't hurt me. Um, but so they took me to an interrogation room. This guy told me he was a lead detective. I don't know that to be true. I think he was just trying to scare me. Um, but he told me I was looking at a murder charge. I was going to go to prison for the rest of my life. And, uh, you know, to hear that at the age of 21, I was, I was, uh, I was confused. And um, I just talked to him, and they arrested me for some warrants. And uh, I tried to commit suicide. I put a bunch of Xanax and some other stuff in my system. And um, some lady found me laying on the side of the road. The guy I was with drug me out of his car and laid me on the side of the road. I thought I was going to go to prison, so I, my only escape was to commit suicide. Um, but I guess when they got me, they brought me back. Here I am right now. Um, <clears throat> so as soon as I woke up, you know, that, that instant feeling of, like, run was there. And I just felt like I needed to go. And I ripped the IVs out of my arms, and I tried walking out, and an RPD officer came up to me and said, come with me. <laughs> and so they arrested me again for some warrants. And then I got, I really got sober for the first time. That was September 15th of 2010 was, to me, my first real sobriety date. Uh, I went through detox, stayed there for about a week. I went to a recovery house, and... I got a sponsor, I got a home group, I just, I got involved with Alcoholics Anonymous. I was involved with the hotline when it first started, it, you know, and I was just, at that time, I was just willing to do anything, you know. I just wanted a better life. I knew if I kept running with those same people, I was either going to end up dead or in prison, and I didn't want that. Um, I've always had high ambitions, and... I, I wanted a good life, so I was real open to being active in Alcoholics Anonymous. I was real open to listening to a sponsor. Within a month of sobriety, I started trying some other spiritual stuff that I still do today that helps me a lot. Uh, and, you know, just slowly over a period of time, my life started progressing. I, after about nine months, I got my license back, got a... Went went down and actually picked up my motorcycle down in Florida, or uh, sorry, not Florida, South Carolina. So I was like 22, nine months sober, had my motorcycle back. I had a job moving furniture. That guy ended up sending me up to Massachusetts with no money. When we got up there, we didn't have any money, and he had stole some stuff from the people we were moving the furniture for. So. When we delivered them their furniture, they did not give us any money so we could leave. And <laughs> I was calling my sponsor, my mom, like, hey, we need some money to get out of here. But we ended up getting back. 
And around that time, I was like, man, I need to start looking for something different. And I found a job at this place called Carolina Auto Spa, and that was just a company that more or less started my career. I got hired as the director of sales and marketing. I don't know how I got hired as that. <laughs> I literally, I used to have this like blue wool suit, right, that I got from the Hillen place. I loved it. But I had this blue wool suit on and a, motor, and a blue motorcycle. <laughs> and I pulled up to this interview like that. And he said, I'll never forget the way you pulled up to that interview. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it, the dude owned a couple of car washes, and about the time I started working there, he bought a mobile detailing company. So I did sales at the car wash, I trained sales reps at the car wash, I did outside sales for the mobile detailing company, and then after doing that for a little while, I had a property manager that I had a relationship ask me if, um, if I would give him a price to power wash these two commercial buildings and all the concrete. I looked at I'm like, I don't know how to price something like that. I was like, how much you want to spend on it? <laughs> it was like 15000 I was like, I'll figure it out. <laughs> um, but that was literally like the beginning to, to my career still to this day. So I, you know, I worked with Carl for a while and uh, Will was director of operations. Will's a good friend of mine today. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, I just slowly just started becoming successful. And, like, for me, it was cool because I was sober. I was really trying to do my best to live right. I was, I was, I was going to my home group, this group, every Tuesday and Thursday. I was going to a youth prison on Mondays. I was going to Wakebrook once a week. I was sponsoring guys. Um... You know, so I was just, I was living a life of uh, just really being consistent in Alcoholics Anonymous and at work. And it was, it was kind of cool to sit back and watch that. I was living with guys in recovery. Um, we had a townhouse right in Raleigh, right near the Valley Group. I don't know if y'all know where that's at, but good friends of mine. And so anyways, worked for this guy for about a year and a half. And he came up to me one day. I wasn't making a lot of money. But this is what he told me. He said, he said, you're making way too much money not to have a high school diploma, so I'm going to take away all your commission. <laughs> and I was like, hmm, okay. So I, uh, I got with a guy that was an old home group member here, a guy named Jeff, and he helped me put together a business plan. And I put together a business plan. I took it to the SBA and another guy that was a home group member here, actually. And... Uh, this guy, he, uh, man, he was he, he was a leader in my life, you know. He 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 was the one that told me. He he looked at me. He said, "I want to invest right now." He said, "I want my son to be your business partner, and um, if you do well, you're going to need three times the amount of money." And that's literally exactly what happened. We did well. I mean, we we started booming, and, and more or less, what happened with me is I started putting all the commitments. I had an Alcoholics Anonymous on the back burner, you know? And uh, I thought running a company is, you know, my goal in life. And what happened due to that is <clears throat> the thoughts that I could drink like a normal person came back. 
you know. And I started thinking like, so I started, I stopped doing stuff in AA around four years of sobriety. Um, right around 2014, I believe. And, you know, it was, it was a slow, it was a nine-month process, you know. It was, I would stop going to the prison. I would stop coming here. I would stop going to Wakebrook. I would stop calling my sponsor. I would stop meeting with guys that I sponsored. Even one of my um, guys I sponsored at the time, he even asked me if I was all right one day. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm just busy with work, you know. <clears throat> so about nine months into that, I'm dating a girl that I met in AA at the time. And uh, we went to a wedding in Carolina Beach. And I saw people drinking having a good time. And so I've been thinking all this stuff for nine months, you know. And I looked at her and I was like, I want a Jack and Coke and a Corona. And she was like, me too. <laughs> so that's what we did and we drank and I got drunk that night and literally the next morning I felt hungover the first thing I did was I walked to the beach on the bar and started drinking and that was the start of it her and I didn't last long after that so she she had a real good job I was living in her house um, but she ended up quitting her job and all she did was drink at the house all day long. And I was still working, running a company. I was still pretty successful at the time. And <clears throat> I, I ended up getting sick of her and her, you know what? And <laughs> I, uh, I just left and I was, I was drinking every single day. I at that time, alcohol did not run my life. I didn't think it did. Um, I still maintained everything. And I thought as long as I could, I could start working at 6, get done at 3, and then start my drinking, everything would be fine. That was like my schedule, you know? <clears throat> but what started happening is, you know, instead of going to the bar to have a few drinks after work, you know, I started drinking until, you know, 8 or 9 o'clock at night or... 11 or 12 o'clock at night or whatever it was. A few months into that, I was actually drinking in Holly Springs, Tyler's Tap Room. And I left there to went, go to cookout. And I was in my forerunner in the drive-thru at cookout. And I fell asleep with the car engine and driving my foot on the brake. And uh, <laughs> I just fell asleep. I woke up to cops knocking on my window to scare me. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> they, uh, so they gave me a DUI. I got out of jail. But ever since that date, <clears throat> that's 2015, I haven't had a license since then. They wanted to put one of those blowing go in my cars, and I was drinking too much where I couldn't, I couldn't have that in my car. So, <laughs> But yeah, so, and then, <clears throat> so I left that chick. Moved into um, place in Raleigh, and about I was messing around on Tinder and met my future ex-wife. <laughs> um, but you know we like to drink, man. And I played pool at a uh, on an APA team, and my nickname at that time at the bar was Fireball J. I love to drink Fireball. Um, but yeah, I mean it. Every Monday night, man, I'd, I'd go out and I would stay out till about 
one or two o'clock in the morning drinking and try to get up at six o'clock in the morning and start working and you know starting to feel real hungover in the morning you know sometimes i question if it was like if it was a hangover or if it was withdrawals mm -hmm. like sometimes i didn't really know quite what it was and sometimes it was like man it i would start drinking at the bar at like 12 most days it it took every ounce of energy in me not to go to a bar before that or go to the liquor store. Um, I felt like if I worked about six hours, I could get all my work in and then go to the bar, take my computer with me and my phone, just in case I needed to do any work up there and I could just drink there the rest of the day. And I, I did that for years. Um, somehow, you know, business was still booming a little bit and um, <clears throat> I, I bought a house and I got engaged and uh, you know, from from the outside looking in, my life looked great. Um, but I drank all day every day, and then I got reintroduced. hadn't done it in a while. I got reintroduced to what a lot of people call booger sugar, <laughs> right? So I can drink for a couple of days and be just fine. Um, and you know, slowly. My ex-wife told me that I was an alcoholic within a couple months that we met. Um, I told her, I was like, no, I'm not homeless right now. I'm successful. Like, I have a vehicle and a place to stay. I'm not an alcoholic. But I really looked at it at that time like, if I was, if I was living right, like, in my mind, like, if I had the materialistic stuff, like, I was an alcoholic. Um... But I've always been one to have a pretty low bottom. So, anyways, we got married. <clears throat> two months later, she left. <laughs> uh, two months after we got married, she left. And, you know, I I questioned for years, like a couple years, like, why why did she leave? You know, like, I wasn't doing anything wrong. And... <laughs> now, I mean, just give you a few examples. There, there was nights I'd get stuck at Sharky's. Sharky's was my hangout spot. I'd wake up in my car with about 30 missed calls from her and be the next morning. And, you know, I'm like, that, that was just, it. or I would be drinking all day. And by the time I got home, I would lay down on the couch and go to sleep and wouldn't wake up until 3 o'clock in the morning. You know, that, that was literally what it looked like. So she left and, um... I, my drinking escalated a lot more, and uh, I started shooting cocaine too, and that was my biggest downfall. And uh, so about a week into that, <laughs> I, you know, you, you do that for a couple of days. You lay down just to try to get a little bit of rest. You may wake up two or three hours later. You may wake up twelve hours later. I woke up about two hours later to the Wake County Sheriff's Department knocking on my door. And, you know, there were times where I came to from a blackout, and I didn't know how I got there, and I had scratches on, on my car or dings or broken mirrors. I'm like, who do I hit? Who did I hit? What did I do, you know? So, like, I felt like they were there to give me some kind of warrant for me hitting somebody when I was blacked out drunk. <clears throat> now, I had... I mean, a lot of liquor, I, you know, I, I had 
coke in the house and I had needles and bongs and bowls and stuff like that to smoke weed and um but in my mind I'm like I need to hide this I need to flush it um why are they here I'm like calling my mom like why are they here she's like I don't know <laughs> she's at work she's like stop calling me so after about two hours of this I saw this big-ass truck in front of my house, and I was like, well, maybe I should walk outside. <laughs> and when I walked outside, it was a SWAT team truck. They were in front of my house, and I, you know, I lived in a good neighborhood, and I hadn't really done much crazy stuff, you know? Um, so I was like, I don't know why they're here. I just lit up a cigarette and said, why the, are y'all here? And <laughs> about four or five guys hopped out. <clears throat> got on their knees with assault rifles with laser beams pointed at my head and my chest. And then they started screaming all these orders to me and told me I needed to put my hands up in the air and lift my shirt up and turn around. And um, So I did all this stuff for them from my front door to the street. And when I got down to the street, they told me to put my knees on the ground and my hands up in the air. I did that. And then they took the back of my head and boom, smashed into the asphalt. And literally just, you know, beat the brakes off of me. <clears throat> and, um, you know, I was just, at that time, I, I was kind of like just coming to. I had just woke up, really, you know. I didn't know what was going on or why they were there. And I kept asking them. And I didn't ask them in a nice way. You know, there was a lot of cuss words in that. I told them they were just jealous of me, too. That's, <laughs> that's, yeah. I mean, I was talking so much trash to them. <clears throat> but finally, they, uh, they told me that uh, my ex-wife put a restraining order on me. They said that she said that you had a gun in the house and you were a dangerous person. I was like, okay, well... So, I, you know, obviously I've been in fights and, you know, I stand up for myself and stuff. But, like, man, I, uh, <clears throat> I'd never been treated that way by the police. So that really just started a downfall for me again. Um, ended up, so for the next couple years, you know, I tried to commit suicide so many times with drugs. Um, I drank, shot up, smoked, sniffed. Um, my business, my house, uh, all my relationships, and then around March or April, around March of 2020, <coughs> homeless. Uh, so a, a little bit less than a year and a half of her leaving, I just threw everything away and became homeless again. <clears throat> and you know, I'm 30 at the time. Man, I, I had been to treatment centers in Scottsdale, Arizona. I'm like, I'm getting away from Raleigh. I'm going to go get sober, do great, and then next thing you know, I'm drinking. Um, got a sponsor out there. I mean, I tried so many different ways. And living that hotel way of life was, was tough. I mean, really, you never really having nowhere to go was was difficult for the mind. And... I mean, just to tell you straight up, I wasn't drinking much then. I was, all I was doing was shooting meth and heroin. And um, 
I, I saw a lot of weird stuff. I saw a lot of grind. <laughs> Man, <laughs> hey, it was strange. <clears throat> I, dude, many times, I'm being in a hotel room, I gotta get the hell out of here. Um, but, um, yeah, it just, man, it, it, it drug me down. And, uh, you know, I would go to the Hillen place or I'd go to Wakebrook, like, either wanting to get sober or just needing a place to stay, and then I'd leave. And in, in two years, I did that. I counted it when I got sober. I did that 37 times. <clears throat> and uh, so, anyways, November 18th of 2020, I went to my last detox. And I really wanted to get sober, and I wanted to leave there. I wanted to go to treatment in Charlotte at Rebound. But it was right around Thanksgiving time, and they they were going to let me in, but they told me I needed to wait a couple more days. And I got mad, and I was like, oh, I'm leaving. You know, and I left, and I didn't call anybody in AA. I called some dude I knew that had a hotel room, and I went there, and, I mean, you know what happens. I, I ended up getting high with him again for about 24 hours, and a guy fell out in front of me. And I knew I had warrants out, and I called the paramedics. And honestly, they were questioning me with a bunch of stuff, and they took me to jail, and and that was November 25th, 2020. <clears throat> um, that was that was a rough two weeks in jail. I've, I've done almost a couple months in jail. It's not that bad. Um, but this was 23 and a half hour lockdown, and. Once they stopped giving me Librium, I couldn't sleep. With the Librium, I, I could sleep through the day and I was fine. Um, but I was also coming off all this hard stuff, you know, and I was so hungry. Like, I hadn't really ate for months, you know, and the, the food that they give you was nothing. I mean, I'd eat and I'd be hungry 15 minutes later. <laughs> it was rough. <laughs> I didn't have any canteen in there. Um, I had a crazy mind. And all I could think about was either drinking or shooting dope. That was it. That's all I could think about. And uh, so I wanted to order some books, so I ordered, I ordered a Bible. It was the only free book they had that you could order. And about a weekend, I started reading it. And... It was the King James Version. I couldn't understand anything it was saying, so I threw it on the ground. I'm like, man, I can't read this. <laughs> but uh, one night I flipped to it and it said the promises of the Bible. It was in the back of the book. And it'd give you these verses, right? So if you're depressed, read this. If you're anxious, read this. If you see no future in your life, read this. And I just started reading these verses. And what one of the verses said was... So, I've always believed in God. I've always believed in the Creator. Um, never been a big believer in Jesus Christ. But this verse said, all God wants us to do is open up our heart and allow Jesus Christ in. So, I meditated and I had a plan. Right? Again, I was suicidal. Okay, so, <clears throat> my plan was, is I was going to sit there and meditate... And I was going to let this dude in my heart. <laughs> and I was, I was going to ask for forgiveness. And, and I was going to ask to be a free man. And then next time I walked out of that cell, I was going to jump off the 
second story balcony and laying on my head. But I did the meditation and I mean it was actually a powerful experience. Like I remember like seeing my heart opening this guy walking in and my heart closing and I mean it was you know, some of that jail cell religion. Susie knows about that. <laughs> so by the time I walked out of my cell next they they knocked on my door and said, Hey, you wanna move to a to a cell where you can see the football game? And I was like, Yeah. So I didn't think about suicide then, right? That was, you know, probably about twelve hours after I said that prayer. Still thinking about, you know, all just wanting to drink and all that stuff, you know, and <clears throat> so later on that night I was sitting in my cell and I started reading the Bible again and uh I don't know, I I don't want to sound too mystical on you guys, but some kind of power came in that cell and just took that those thoughts and that obsession away from me, you know? And um and gave me this idea that I was right where I needed to be and everything was going to be all right. Yeah. And uh the next day, I got out of a 23-hour lockdown with the general population. And two days after that, I had 15 charges. They all got taken care of. Um, three counts of probation, recovery court. I had to do these dose classes. <clears throat> um, and uh, I had to move into an Oxford house. And that's what I did. So, But when I got out, I didn't really have nowhere to go. You know, um, I had to find an Oxford house to stay in, so I couldn't find anywhere to stay that night, so I went to the Hilling Place, and I remember walking up to their door. Now, these people, in the last year, they probably seen me 20 or 30 times come up in there, be detoxing or just needing somewhere to sleep, and I'd been sober for about two and a half weeks at this time, and <laughs> the guy walks out, and he said, what are you detoxing from? I was like, nothing. <laughs> he was like, huh? <laughs> I was like, nothing, man. I I started telling him this long story, like trying to tell him everything that's yeah. happened. He's like, do you need somewhere to stay tonight? I'm like, yeah, I just need somewhere to stay. I need to try to find an Oxford house to stay in. So <clears throat> they let me stay there for three nights until I could find somewhere to stay. And, uh, you know, I'd been in contact with my sponsor. He came and picked me up the next morning. And we went to Panera on Capitol Boulevard. <clears throat> Excuse me. And... Uh, he, uh, you know, we were just kind of talking about an experience I had in jail in the last couple of years. And he said, well, it's apparent that you've already done the first three steps. Um, so he said, start, start writing an eighth step. So that's what I did. I, well, I started writing an inventory. So looking back on it, it's kind of like the way the first 100 members went through the steps, six steps. Um, that's what we did. And it worked very well. So <clears throat> I wrote an inventory, and, you know, a couple weeks later, we went over it. We said some prayers, and uh, I've slowly been trying to make amends and trying to help people. been praying. <clears throat> you know, I inventory my day. I don't do it every night or every morning. I, I really look at my actions throughout the day, all day. Am I perfect at it? No. Um... Man, I'd slip up a lot, you know, like I I say and think a lot of things that I don't think I should be thinking, 
You know, I think some crazy stuff sometimes. I deal with a lot of fear right now, you know. Um, I have a good life. So, <clears throat> I feel like I'm, I'm a pretty easy person to get along with. But, I guess, me living in an Oxford house, they don't really agree with that. <clears throat> I mean, I, I don't know how else to say it, but since I've been sober, I've been kicked out of two Oxford houses. Not for getting, not for relapsing, but... You know, just not really being a good housemate, I guess, or um, not paying my rent on time, or not cleaning up, or doing my chore, or, <clears throat> you know, just kind of doing whatever. To me, I was living life, man, and now, and you know, like, I, uh, I, I was just living the life that I wanted to live sober, man. Um, I didn't agree with a lot of the reasons why I got kicked out, but, um, I can kind of see what they're talking about. I can tell you this much. If you walk in my house right now, it's spotless. Julia's gone in there. She's seen it. It's clean. I'm a clean person. But anyway, so um, we've got a couple more minutes. So talk about a few things real quick. So, yeah, I went through the steps quick. Um, didn't wait on much. I uh, came back here. This has been my home group since I've been sober. I've, I've tried helping guys, sponsoring them. Um, I got one that's still sober right now. So, <clears throat> and uh, you know, when when I got out of jail, like I didn't know what I wanted to do for work. I was just kind of doing stuff here and there. A buddy of mine that um, owns a moving company hired me as a sales rep. That worked well for a while, and then he wanted to change up some some of the times that we worked. And around that same time, people started. Old clients of mine started reaching out to me for power washing. And <clears throat> somehow I was able to start knocking out some jobs, man, and uh, started my company back up. And been doing that for less than a year. Um, but, you know, my life has, is slowly progressing. I, I met a girl. I remember I told Jerry, I was like, look, <clears throat> so here's the deal. I met this chick. <laughs> I was like, I met this girl. She's she's cool. She seems like she's cool. Seems really sweet. She's good looking. But she's in treatment right now. <laughs> Look, so I this is what I can tell you. This, so and I don't know if this was a guy thing or me and her, but she, uh, about the time we met, she got pregnant. <laughs> um, we live together today. We get along great. Um, we have a good life with each other, you know. We treat each other with respect. We don't argue. Um, we're both sober members of Alcoholics Anonymous. We both have a home group. We we give give each other space, you know? Like, we do a lot of things together as well, you know? We enjoy being around each other. She's one of my best friends. Um, you know, I'm still doing that other spiritual stuff that's helped me a lot and staying active. I'm trying to stay active in all areas. Um, life is a, uh, sometimes it can be a juggle finding, finding a good balance for everything. Um, so I'm always learning with that. But yeah, so hopefully, Y'all enjoyed listening to me for an hour. Um, <laughs> thanks, Rose.